calamity, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And Robin's son is racing. And welcome everybody to Locked On iRacing Interviews Podcast. I am Peter Wilco Wilkinson and I'm joined today as always by Braden Martin who's here for special comments. How are you going mate? Not too bad. 16 episodes down. Who would have thought? Who would have thought indeed. And for that lovely 16th episode we have the amazing Brett Wheeler. How are you going mate? Yeah, not too bad mate. Yourself? Oh, I'm exhausted and, and exhausted and that's about the only answer you're going to get from me right now. But welcome to the podcast mate. Let's start with the same question we ask everyone. Who is Brett Wheeler? Uh, no one special, actually. Um, oh, okay. No, That's just... the end of the podcast. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, like I'm just, uh, I'm just like you know, everybody else. I love to love to I race, and um, it's sort of the the getaway because not being able to race because I'm basically I'm in a wheelchair, um, so I, I use you know I racing as a as a getaway to to do racing and. And just have fun and and broadcasting and, and commentating and stuff like that. So, yeah, other than that, it's uh, not too much to uh, there's not too much else to, to talk about. Well, let's go quickly. Let's plug the place that you're broadcasting. We do mention it most episodes, although I do forget. Ultimate Dirt TV is where I I came across you because we are sponsoring your channel and bringing your beautiful voice to many many thousands of people every week. Tell us a bit about Ultimate Dirt TV. Uh, when iRacing came to, or when Dirt came to iRacing, I should say, I think it was in 20, I don't want to say 2016 or 2017, um, you know, I was doing a lot of R-Factor broadcast, um, and then I sort of got with a couple of guys that were doing some Dirt Track 2 uh, racing where, you know, they were like 10 cars in the server, but, you know, they were putting on good shows, and they asked me to do a couple of, um, uh, like, recordings for them, and then I... Yeah, they said, oh, you know, you should do it on iRacing and stuff like that. And I was just sort of, for about six or seven months, I was just floating around just solo, you know, working with other broadcast companies, not, you know, not worrying about starting up my own one. And then uh, I guess sort of, you know, late 2017, I, I figured, well, you know, I might as well bite the bullet. And I think it was about October 2017 where I started up one. I actually had a sponsor that was going to uh, sponsor, you know, the first couple of seasons and we named it. Uh, it was originally, I think it was VR. No, it was going to be Team Friday TV, and um, he, he sort of pulled the plug on it. And you know, we spent two months, you know, trying to build it up and stuff like that. And you know, I think we were up in the first couple of months to like three thousand likes and stuff like that. So you know, we we really built it up. And then, you know, when he pulled the plug, I tried to, to contact Facebook to change the name, and they wouldn't allow me to change the name. So I actually had to basically restart and re regrow everything from scratch in. Uh, I think it was December 2017. So, you know, we're, we're coming up to to four years and, you know, the, the first couple of years were, were yeah, they were right. They, they were decent. And then basically when COVID hit and our iRacing took off, I mean, so, so did we. But, you know, I, I can go through some numbers on on what I, or what I shouldn't say I, but I should say Ultimate Dirt TV produced in, in 2020 and also 2021 because, you know, the, the last probably year and a half, out of the seventeen thousand followers, we've, we've probably gained probably close to eleven or twelve thousand of those. Yeah, COVID has been something a little bit special for iRacing, hasn't it? Um, have you seen many of them convert into people who are still going now? Like, I know there's been a little bit of a drop off in a few areas, but I guess we're still going through COVID here in Australia as well. But has it converted into long term people now? Uh, yes and no. Um, you know, like, you know, you see a lot of iRacers that. 
a lot of real racers that come over to iRacing and they, and to be honest, they, they don't do as well as what they do in the real world. Uh, you know, it's, it's having that adjustment, you know, people, you know, might only get on, you know, once or twice a week compared to, you know, these the 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 year old kids that, you know, can spend six, seven, eight hours a day just racing, whether it's hosted the fishes and stuff like that. Um, but then, you know, there's, there's guys that, there's real life drivers that can come on. I'll give an example, Caden Brown. He's good in a midget. He's good at everything. And then he comes on iRacing and he's the same thing. So, you know, they, they, they can, they can work. It's just, you know, it's, it's flip of a coin really. You know, I've seen some, some real world drivers that uh, I, I won't say flops, but they, they need a bit of help <laughs> online. <laughs> no, I've definitely seen both of those versions, uh, especially watching the V8 All-Stars E-Series. There's a few of them that took to it and there's a few of them that definitely didn't know what they were doing. We, um, yeah. we hear a lot about um, road racers talking about like how close it is to, to real-world driving and you know what apart from the g-forces and stuff what's the what's the main difference what's it like from the dirt side do do the drivers that come across think it's a pretty good representation or there's a lot of work to do or there is there's a there's always work to do um you know i i've driven i've driven a number of classes before i sort of had to give it up um sprint cars i I think i've done that for a couple of years um so I never really set the cars up. You know, that was that was always my old man's job. You know, he had the he had the, he had the second second job where I got to drive the car. I, I had the fun job. I just you know turned up and washed it and and raced it, and he did everything else. So he, he even paid the bills. Um, but you know, I I hear a lot of people say that you've got to set the car up backwards, opposite to what you would in real life, um, and then it just seems to work. But yeah, I've seen I've seen some people do some some funky stuff. When it comes to setup and it, and it works and it's just well you, you know you've got you've got to scratch your head but probably the biggest thing would be tire wear that hasn't been implemented on the dirt side I think once that once that does come in if it comes in I think that will will change the whole dynamic of the I won't call it a game because people say it's you know they, they call it a simulation so yeah we don't want any pitchforks around here <laughs> yeah look, no look if they get the if they get the tire wear in. It's certainly going to change the the sim. What type of tire wear? So I I understand obviously road. You're on tarmac. You are burning rubber the, the faster you go and, and things like that. What what's it like in in i racing? What do they need to get right for it to work properly? I don't know what they got to do, but I mean, like through the slick. If you you know compare tagger tracks, tagger tracks you can just you know foot down hold it wide open and not worry about anything, you know, whereas you, whereas you go through the slick, probably in a, in a real car, you know, you're probably only going to be about 50, 60, uh, 60%, uh, 60% throttle. Whereas on iRacing, you know, you can get up to like 75, 80% throttle before, you know, the, the wheels do start to spin in your, and your, your times do slow down. So I don't know how they, don't know how they, how they do it, but I mean, they, they've got to figure a way to make the, the tires wear, like like they do in on the asphalt side of things, the NASCAR, you know, you you do ten or fifteen laps at um, mm. I, I I wouldn't even know what track at like Martinsville actually, I'll use Martinsville because I've ran there a yep. couple of times. Your tires go off and then you know your your car wants to spin out if you if you're doing the same thing lap after lap. If they somehow brought that over to dirt, again how they do it with whatever they do behind the scenes, 
uh, the engineering stuff, they bring that to dirt. I think that that changes the game when the track gets slick as well. Okay. So back to Ultimate Dirt TV, if people, where do they find you for starters and, and when do they expect to find you? Well, we're on Facebook and, and YouTube is our, our main goals. We're, we do have a Twitter and Instagram account, although they rarely get used. It's just, I'm, uh, I'm old school. You know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So, yeah. um, you know, they can go to facebook.com slash ultimate dirt TV um, or youtube.com slash ultimate dirt TV. Uh, generally live anywhere between five and up to 15 times a, a week. You know, that's, that's Sunday to Monday or Monday to Sunday. Um, you know, where we got a, um, most of the time is, is during the day, uh, here in Australia we can start anywhere from eight o'clock in the morning as late as, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon. And then, um, on Sunday nights, we, we have a double header. We cover an Australian league and, you know, we probably one of only probably three or four dirt leagues left here in Australia at, uh, at the present. So, um, you know, we do a double header on Sunday night. So, you know, we, we sort of cover all times during the day and during the week as well. I've got so many topics to talk to you about, um, especially because like it's been look very interesting watching the dirt scene in the sixteen, like we said, sixteen episodes we've done so far. We've had obviously Brady on here. We've we've covered the ODSE and we've covered a few other bits and pieces. But every time something gets going, it seems to drop off. The community we've tried to do our own dirt races on the side because obviously as you said not many australian places are doing it it's really hard to find people find people regular and then find people who are willing to to, to commit to it um can, have you got any explanation for the australian scene why it's like this and is, is this is that mirrored around around the world uh, uh like it, it hurts me to say this but it's the truth it's it's toxic you've got yep. you've got probably 10 15, 20 people that you get them in a group and it's it just all of a sudden the respect, the the way, the the ability on, on, on how they drive, it just goes out the window. You get probably five of those 30 or 40 people one-on-one without those other people around them, they're different people. Yeah, I don't know whether they're trying to be heroes online, they're... You know, they're, they're trying to be the big keyboard warriors and, and talk themselves up online. I, I just, to me, it's toxic. It, it's been like that for, for some time. So I've seen many leagues come and go. And, and it is a shame because there's a lot of people out there that, that do want to run league races that, you know, don't have the time to, you know, sit there for two, three, four hours a day just to do official racing. So, yeah, I mean, look, it sucks, but it's just it's just the way it is unfortunately is it an australian thing or is it around the world around the world (laughs) yeah okay but there are there are a lot more american leagues um that have you know come and go as well um and and they just don't have because there's so many people want to run league racing over in america they've got they've got the population to do it it's just that nobody I won't say nobody, but there there are guys out there that just don't want to work with other league races. You know, they don't want to work with the other companies to say, hey, look, you know, we're running, I'll use sprint cars, or actually I'll use late models because late models are more popular over there. You know, if you've got a league race on a on a Sunday night at, say, 7 o'clock, and then you've got one at 7.30, and then you might have one at 9. 
you've got the seven and and nine, uh, seven and seven thirty guys that just want to run on top of each other, and then you have got the nine o'clock guys going right. Well, you know what? I'll wait for your league race to finish, and then I'll I'll collect all the guys that that didn't get a chance to run. But you just it it would be a lot easier, and it's 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 always not going to work out this way. But if you get leagues that want to work together and say right, well, if you want to run yours at seven, there's one at nine. Why don't we look at moving to another day? So that way, instead of having 10, 15, 20, 30 cars max, rather than having a full lobby of 50 or 60, there, there are ways around it. Sometimes it's not always going to be the popular decision if you change nights. And obviously, you know, people have you know, people that have lives and stuff like that, and families that they've got to take care of and and work. But if they if they just all somehow manage to to work together, it would be better for the whole community that wanna that wanna league race because sometimes you get guys that, you know, will register for one league race, I'll stay around for a heat. They'll go, right, well, I'm not I'm not doing any good in this one. I'll go to the next one half an hour later. I'll try my luck in there and then it takes up a spot and it's just you know, you it makes it look bad if you're if you're doing a broadcast, you know, because you've got people that are meant to be say in in a B main you've got, say, 12 scheduled cars and you've only got four cars on the racetrack. It doesn't look good on a broadcast and it doesn't look good for the league. No, I understand that completely. Um, and that's, oh, look, Matthew Joy, who, who put me onto you in the first place, he's been the one that's trying to do it and that's what he finds. He, he gets the, you know, six or seven, big group of six or seven come in for a, for the practice part of it and then just before he goes live to, to run the race, they all vanish. And he's left with like two people and it's like, well, what do you do? You've got three people sitting here ready to have a really good fun and you had all these other people ready to go, but then they're gone. So, and, and, and like he, he keeps on talking about this underground feel, like people don't want to talk about them being into dirt racing, I guess, uh, or they don't want to be active and, and talk about it. And just when something happens, they put out the feelers and the people come from nowhere. Sometimes it's, it's a strange community. I really would like to get in to understand it a bit more. But what what have you seen as the growth or what, the change in the dirt community over the last four years since you've been you've been broadcasting it? Um, well, I mean, you know, the first couple of years were, you know, it was it was decent, but the obviously the the tracks play a tracks play a big part. There was a time where. You know, um, I'll use Eldora as an example. You know, you could have a slick and off racetrack. You could run top, you could run bottom, you can run middle, you can run the slide line, you can run all sorts of lines on a slick track. And then all of a sudden they, they bring out a cushion, a cushion update. And I think that's where it started uh, a little bit of a downfall uh, because, you know, you, you know, people obviously wanted a cushion because, you know, it's what builds up in, in, in real life. And, and then, you know, the same thing, you know, you get a track like Eldora, even Charlotte, where you, it was just so overpowerful. If you hit it right, you could be anywhere between two, three tenths quicker than the guy behind you that was, you know, might have been running the middle or even a slider line, whereas you go back to, you know, to the, to the first update where they would have been even on times. Um, you know, there's been a, a lot of good changes um, since, obviously, you know, when it first came out. Um, you know, there was obviously, you know, the beta tests and stuff like that, but... I mean, the problem with the beta test is, is there weren't many that had the real life experience of raising a sprinter. You know, they had, 
guys that had run or tested like NASCAR stuff, road stuff. And it just, it sort of didn't sit well with a lot of the community because there was, again, a, a number of 50, 60 that have driven even more, you know, hundreds of people that have driven real life race cars that could have given positive feedback or, or better feedback than what the guys that haven't been on the dirt. Um, but, you know, the, the growth, obviously, with adding the tracks in and stuff like that, you know, you see, um, you know, the World of Outlaws come on board with the with the sprint cars and the late models. Um, you've seen USAC come on board with the non-wing, you know, their world championships as well. Um, it's just, yeah, you look, since since COVID has, has struck, um, you know, iRacing has really taken that, that next step. And, you know, there's obviously, you know, still ways to, to make it better, but it's obviously their staff are obviously set to a designated project that they've got to do, and you know how long that takes. Well, I mean that's only I racing. Only I racing can can answer that one. So, look, there's obviously improvements still to be made, and um, yeah, I'm sure at the end of the day, you know they're going to do what they think is best for for the company and the community. I think you make an interesting point about um, needing to make sure they have people who have driven the real life thing to give that feedback, uh, even more so for the dirt stuff. Like, obviously, with asphalt stuff, you'd want people who have driven, you know, race cars to give you feedback, but everyone's driven a car on tarmac. So, you know, not at a high level, not racing, but they'd probably have some understanding of what it's like to drive a car. And chances are people who are into racing have probably pushed the limits in their own car on asphalt. I'd don't think that would be obviously the case for dirt stuff like people don't drive their cars on dirt so and it's a completely different thing so it would be even more important to have the feedback from real world drivers um, i would think in that case absolutely and you know, like I, I can touch on i'll touch on sprint cars for example you know they don't have a starter motor they're direct drive you know from the back of the motor straight into the into a diff into the rear wheels and you know it's not like you can just go outside and start the car up you know you, you've got to be push started You've got to have the car, you know, I don't know if you guys know how a sprint car works, but you've got to lock the car. It's basically got in gear and out of gear. That's it. If you're not, if you're in gear, once you push started, you know, the oil pressure gauge will, will go up, flick a switch, it'll take off. Well, nine out of 10 times it should take off <laughs> if you've done the right things. Unless you're Wilco. Yeah, unless you yeah, me. Um, and, you know, drivers that, you know, have that real world experience. And, and again, I'll come back to, you know, to, to Caden Brown, you know, he's obviously got midget, uh, speed car or midget experience, depending on what you want to call it. I mean, they're both the same anyway, but um, yeah, they're, they're the same thing. You know, they can't just be started up in your, in your garage, you know, they've got to be push started as well. So um, it was, you know, it's very crucial that to me, they, they should have had drivers that had real world experience. But then again, you know, you've got the, the same, you know, you've got a, a case to argue that, well, you know, if you give those guys an opportunity to test, how much are they going to test? Because their real world commitments can take over, you know, when they're racing over in the States and, you know, obviously traveling and stuff like that. So that's you know, sort of a catch 22. Yeah. You want the really busy people doing it, but the the real busy people who do, who are really good at it are really busy. So it's, yeah, it's pretty impossible to get it all sorted out. So let's, let's, uh, okay, one more question on dirt, I guess. 
Um, where do you see it going in the future? Like, what, what's I racing need to do? You talked about tyres before, but what else do, do they need to do for the the, ro- the dirt oval racing? Uh, well, to, to me, tyres would be probably number one, but I guess having a different variety of tracks. Um, you know, ideally, you know, you'd love to see, you know, one or two Australian tracks, maybe even a, a New Zealand racetrack like you know Western Spring Speedway, but Obviously, obviously, you know the pandemic and stuff like that. But what it would cost for for iRacing to bring their equipment over to scan the tracks and scan what's around the racetrack, so they can get it, you know, perfectly laser scanned into into the sim. What that costs, I've got no idea, but I'm assuming it'd be, you know, quite a fair bit of quite a fair bit of money to to whereas you know they can go, you know, for a quarter or half the cost to a different track. Uh, in the states and and do one and, and bring another one in you know like there's talks of um i think uh, i55 and and belleville i think there's a couple of other racetracks that, that have been mentioned as well so the variety of tracks to to me because you, you don't want to be and, and this is what happened in the in the first couple of years you know when we only had those probably five or six racetracks it it got stale you know because you're, you're racing the same tracks week in day in day out and then you know people people get bored of that sort of stuff and they go oh well, i'll go play something else yeah we've, um i was gonna say we've heard okay. some rumors of some tracks being scanned down under soon uh in the future so hopefully they latch onto a couple of dirt ones while they're down here i yeah well i mean i hope those rumors are true because like i said uh, there's probably probably three or four tracks here in australia that i wouldn't mind seeing in in iRacing, uh, you know, obviously Perth Motorplex. That's you know, like that's a that's a pretty iconic venue over over in Perth. Um, Premier Speedway. I would have said Valvoline Raceway, but I mean, you, you take a photo of that now, you're going to get uh, a bunch of train tracks and stuff like that. Uh, who knows? I mean, uh, Eastern Creek Speedway when that decides to to get built and, and up and running, and then you could probably go. I'd probably go Archerfield in in Queensland, you know, just to have sort of one track from the from the major cities uh, here in australia yeah uh, archerfield is one that um, we've talked about before it'd be like i said just more australian content more content in general would obviously help it out i always get the urge to drive to it but i just never get around to it busy schedules and all now there's a question that i know someone wants to ask you current state of midgets what do you think and how can they be improved not a car that I drive oh. a lot. Um, to me, um, yeah, I think they've got sort of the big block tire model on there, you know, which is sort of is sort of good. Uh, one thing I have noticed in in league racing, if you've got you know if you've got a lowish car counting, you know, if you've got around twenty or twenty five cars, and I'll use a, a, an example of what I did, uh, what I broadcasted. Um, just last week was, you know, you had, I think, 18 or 22 midgets around Limerland. Pre the update, it would have widened up and, you know, you would have had a top and a bottom line racing. I think with the update, with how much you're actually off the, thro- uh, off the throttle now, it doesn't wear the track in as, as much. Um, and, you know, I've I seen a lot of, of one-lane racing after probably, I think it was, what, three, three heats, a consolation and then a and then a, I think it's a 60 lap main event and 
you know, it didn't even get off the bottom and, you know, the middle came in wow. to them those last sort of five or ten laps. I think if I can sort of just pull it back to not where it was prior to the, the update, if they sort of, you know, go sort of in between what they've got now and what they had, that might sort of open it up a little bit more and, and make the make the tracks wider when, you know, as the night goes on. Yeah, the yeah the tire model I think was the the catalyst for it, but hopefully they're working on something in the background. But let's move on past Ultimate Dirt TV away from dirt track itself. Broadcasting, you've been doing that now, as you said, for four years. How did you first get into it? We mentioned before that you got a friend or someone who decided to back you to do it. But how, what was that thought like to get into broadcasting in the first place? Uh, broadcast actually goes back probably 10 or 11 years ago now. Um, and it came about when we were racing R-Factor uh, and a guy that I was racing with, Tyler Burnett, um, he sort of come to me one day and, and you know, we were just talking, you know, we'll, we'll make before this happened. And he asked me, he goes, do you know anyone that, you know, wants to do any commentating for, you know, R-Factor? And yeah, at home, you know, like playing you know, World of Outlaws 2002 on the on the PS2 um, or even on the computer, uh, rugby league. You know, just mucking around at home. I, I'd just sit there and I'd, I'd commentate what I was doing. So I was I was always always like felt like talking to myself, but calling what I was seeing on the thing. And I thought, you know, this you know this might be a good opportunity. And um, you know, we ended up doing we covered a New Zealand midget series on R Factor in I think it was twenty. Late 2010, early 2011, and um, that sort of that sort of took off. You know, we, we sort of gelled together. We worked well together, and then he goes, right? He goes, well, let's um, let's make a let's make a broadcasting company, and you know, let's broadcast races on our factor. And we did that for well till our, till our racing came along, and you know, he ended up making um, a broadcast company that was called Dirt Sim TV. Uh, there was me. Uh, Tyler Burnett and there was a producer Keith Fitzgerald and like I said we've done that for probably five or six years and um, there is a if you go on YouTube and, and type in R-Factor World Finals Promo um, probably our first big event which you know really took us off was a was a dream uh, oh, sorry World 100 um, late model race at Eldora and Likes of Caleb McLaughlin, uh, who races in the real world. Um, Ricky Thornton, uh, yeah, he's doing wonderful things over there. Um, you know, that come down to, after 100 laps, it come down to basically a side-by-side -side finish at the line. And I'll just, I'll give you a headset warning. If you do watch that video, <laughs> but when, it, when you get past the sprint car clip, I would advise you to turn the volume down. <laughs> I went absolutely berserkers, and that's what really set Dirt Sim TV off into another chapter because then we had guys that come to us and said, right, we want this race broadcasted, and all of a sudden, you know, we went from one or two a week to doing six or seven a week, and it was just, you know, nonstop. And, and then I think it was 20... So I, I did that for a couple of years with him, and then I think about 2012 or 2013... Um, sprint cars were, were going to Morris Park Speedway in Dubbo. I thought, well, I'll message them and just, you know, 
see if I can go up there and, you know, maybe sneak up in the booth or something like that and, you know, just see you know, if I can, you know, get a foot in the door somewhere because there was no way of getting in at, at Parramatta at the time. Um, so you know, I reached out to Leanne Anning, who was the, the track owner at that stage, and uh, I told her basically what I'd done, give her a couple of clips, and she listened to it, and she goes, yeah, come on up. So, and, yeah, yeah, that was that was my first real break when it when it sort of got into into the real world um and yeah that was yeah that's sort of how that all started so yeah i've been broadcasting and, and sim racing for well sim broadcasting commentating for nearly 11 years now that is what's the main difference between commentating over sim stuff and then commentating over the real life stuff good question um i i actually get nervous more nervous online than what I do at a real racetrack. And I don't know why when I'm, when I'm sitting at home, I, I don't, I technically don't have anybody watching me, but when I go to a, a real track, I mean, there's, when it comes to, when it comes to commentating to me, there, there's no real difference. You know, I, I'm there to, I'm there to do a job, uh, you know, and give 110% regardless of uh, whether I think the racing is good or not, whether it's online or, or at, or at a real racetrack, um, you know, I go there to, to do a job and and to try and entertain people and and call the call the race to to the best of my ability. But I don't like I don't find any difference to really, you know. I actually like going to the racetrack because you can you can almost get hit by clay. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely a bonus. Um, you might need someone just to throw clay at you every now and then the sim just while you're, you're broadcasting. <laughs> uh, that'll help out. Uh, so what has changed over 11-odd years in broadcasting? I guess both in the, in both. We'll start with the sim. What, what's changed over all that time? Production. Um, there was – back then there wasn't uh... – How did you produce back then? I'm just trying to wrap it in my brain. What were you using? Well, we're still using we – we're actually you know, we're still using OBS. Yep. Um, but there was there was no overlays, there was no timing. Um, it was just a, a case of our producer at the time, Keith Fitzgerald. He was, you know, we'd all go in the in the server as a spectator. And, and the good thing about R Factor was you didn't have a limit on how many people could go into the server. Um, you know, you could you could have eighty cars in the server, and then you could you know you could set drivers uh, to a particular heat and uh, set the grid. And all you have to do was just, I think it was like slash set grid heat one or something like that. Or, um, but yeah, we used to just go in under spectator, um, and it was basically you know, I would talk about something, and while I was talking about something, our producer was going and following that car and showing it on the screen, and then Tyler would come in, he would talk it, you know, about you know the same thing or, or something else around the around that area, and it was just our it was just our producer just sort of following off on on what we were talking about. So production value was quite very low back then yeah that's crazy like just to yeah just to set up with obs to have someone luckily you had someone like uh, you had a three-man team i couldn't imagine doing it as a solo or a two-man team like it would be crazy so what's what's changed now you're are you using a, a lot more software obviously to broadcast these days still using still using obs as i said to, to me if it ain't broke don't fix it so yeah um, I've used OBS for an, an, a number of years. 
Um, the software I originally started with on iRacing was a program called uh, ATVO. Yep. Um, and the problem, well, my problem with that was you weren't able to bring up the results of the heat. It would just, you know, once the, once heat one rolled over into heat two session, that's it. It would just basically be throw the starting grid up and you would have to just go on face value of what you've seen at the line and just yep. hope that you got it right at the, for the, for the, for the starting grid of the feature. Um, and in, um, you know, ATVO, you had a, you had an overlay or a theme editor, uh, to me, you know, there's a, a Jay Kennedy sim speed put out a, I think it's about a two hour video or something like two and a half hour yeah. video explaining how to edit, um, and add stuff in. I can't sit, I can't sit that long to, to watch a, a, a video to edit my own stuff. So, um, you know, we use that. I, I, in fact, um, my last overlay prior to using the new program, I'll talk about that in a second. Um, I actually got from Jay, uh, and he changed, you know, he changed a couple of things on, on what I wanted and, you know, he was always helpful. So, you know, I'm always going to be forever grateful for him because, you know, he helped me a lot when it comes to the overlay side of things. But then we got, so I had Steve McMillan, who is basically my right-hand man who owns World of Thunder as well, which, you know, we cover every Monday morning in America, uh, in Australia here, and obviously Sunday night over in America. He came to me and said, um, check out this program for, for timing and see how you go. So anyhow, we ended up looking at it and, you know, we spent probably an hour and just debating on whether to use it or not. And I said, oh, well, screw it. Let's go with it. Not knowing how to edit stuff or anything like that. And, you know, we sort of jumped into it. And the day that we got it, I think I spent six or seven hours um, edit, you know, learning on how to uh, edit stuff in the in the program. And, yeah, thankfully, the, the Discord helped quite a bit because, you know, if I wanted to find something, I could go through the, the timings discord where they had you know people set up and, and dedicated to help you I, I mean i was asking stupid questions that said right just go here you can look here on the website um and that program is you know sdk timing and that's what we're using mm -hmm. now yeah. um you know which is a, a, a absolutely phenomenal you know I, I can't can't fold it one bit um yeah. and you know like even last week um you know when i had some new overlays um, hand it to me or, or, you know, I found some new overlays. I spent six or seven hours again, just, just tinkering with it. And yeah, it's just, it, it's the little things that I do, you know, whether I spend two, three, four, five, six, seven hours, I'll happily work on the, on the, on the overlay because it gives me something to, to learn about when it comes to the overlay side of things where, You've got other broadcasters out there that use SDK, but they've got the same color on the timing screen on the, you know, it's the gray. It's they, they need a bit of help. And I mean, I'm, I'm always happy to, to help people, you know, because I, yeah, there's, there's been times where I've, you know, I've needed help and, you know, one way or another, someone has stepped up and, and helped out. So it's, um it's just a, it's a matter of learning on, you know, what you can and what you can't do. And the good thing about, you know, the, the SDK 
is that you know you can be in a in a replay so you don't have to jump from server to server which is what i was doing at the start when i first learned and even even a month ago you know i was still jumping from server to server editing the program and just fixing it up whereas i think two weeks ago i found out i could i could be in a replay and i could do the exact same thing as what i was jumping in and out of servers and i mean it's just it saved me a whole lot of time but yeah, yeah it's um yeah look it, it's a good program so i mean if any any broadcasters are using ATVO and, and they want to use something else. So I do suggest SDK timing. Yeah, no, I, I mentioned I was at Reese Gardner a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, and I looked at ATVO because we're doing some stuff in the background here and, oh, we did my head in just looking at it. I, saw, I came across the same J video and I'm like, yeah, I don't have two hours for that either. <laughs> um, I've used SDK in the past for some streaming stuff and then I sort of moved away from it. But it's definitely, yeah, it was... The, the beauty of it, it was easy and there was support for it, which is is the positive side of that. So um, let's move away from broadcasting, I guess. Let's move on to yourself. You, you mentioned before you did some real-life real, real life racing. So ex- explain to us what you've done. When we first got into it, um, me and the old man, uh, I, it was not long after the Outlaws came to, to Parramatta um, and the the leader cars or well, now the lightning sprints were on i said to the old mouse oh, you know you should should buy me one of them we'll go racing and yeah he, he's raced <laughs> fender, he ra- he'd raced fender benders for for 20 odd years and um i said oh you should buy me one of those and him being him he goes ah oh, and just thinking i wouldn't do it he goes are oh, you find one and i'll buy it for you uh little did he know that the uh the internet does wonderful wonderful <laughs> things and i ended up uh finding a I found a leader car. We got it off um, Stephen Allen, and we ended up buying that one. And he still still questions me and still kicks himself to this day. He goes, I don't know how you did it. He goes, you conned me into buying a leader car, you smart ass. And I just – I keep laughing at it every day because I just thought, well, you told me if I, if I find one, yeah, he'd buy it for me. Um, and then we ended up – we sort of put that to the side, uh, and then we ended up buying a, a street stocker. Uh, which wasn't the fast one actually at the time when we bought it it had a seized motor so we had to uh we had unseized the motor um, we went street stock racing uh, for a couple of years and then um, i was sort of working the auctions and i had a drive car so i didn't need a didn't need a car and i ended up selling my car um and the old man goes what do you reckon we go buy a, a sprint car motor and go sprint car racing i said yeah that's fine i said i just sold my car so I'll use that money then. That was kind of you know, a little bit of a like a, a gift return because you know he's done he's done so much for me you know getting me that leader car originally and I thought it was just a another way to, to give back to the old man for for what he's done for me and um, we ended up um, we were living down the road um, to Matt Thomas um, who had brought um, what's her name I can't think of the name now she just come over here a couple of years ago. I'll come back to that. But yeah, we, um, okay. our daughters, uh, we're in the same dance group and, and that's how sort of, um, old man and, and Matt sort of got along. And then we ended up buying his brother's Dean's motor, uh, which wasn't a 410. I think, mean, I think it was a 382 or a 372 motor. Um, and we went sprint car racing for probably two or three years. Um, and then sort of got over that and we ended up selling that to, uh, Brendan Rowlings. Uh, who's 
still racing. Well, he was racing that same car, I think, as of like two or two years ago, maybe three years ago. And then uh, I think he ended up upgrading that one. So, um, yeah, the last the last car I bought was a was a street stocker. It was an AU Falcon. I bought that off um, Lindsay Cornwell. That was an ex Lucas Lucas Walters car. Brett Mitchell car it was part of that um, that three or four man team that they had going there. Um, and then you know, I had to sort of give it up because at the end of 2012, um, I'd actually hurt my I'd hurt my back. Um, and then yeah, sort of the, the start of the start of 20, 2013, we we had to. It was twenty eleven, sorry. Uh, yeah, about twenty twelve was when I probably had my last race in a in a real race car, which was a street stocker. Obviously, you miss it heaps. I do, but I would rather right now to be on the microphone calling races, uh, and yeah. that's thankfully that's what I'm doing, and it's what I enjoy. Like I'll go, I'll go to Speedway every night of the week if it was on. Yeah, it's just that yeah. it's a sport that I grew up at. Uh, it's a sport that I love, and you know, I if I if I can be there, I will. Best race you've ever had? Uh, there's a couple. Um, there was one I, I mean, there wasn't many drivers at this one. I think it was at uh, Gilgandra uh, in a sprint car. I think I finished eleventh in that one. Um, Finished, uh, I think seventh in the in a street stock race, which is pretty good. I think that was one of my first first races in in a in a new car, um, and making an Australian title in a street stock as well. That was that was pretty cool, and that actually happened to be up at Dubbo Speedway as well. There you go. Uh, so, people who want to get into dirt racing, what's that community like in real life? Obviously, we've talked about the online version of it. I've heard far better things, obviously, about the um, the real-life version. What's it like, people around the dirt tracks? If you were cold, they'd give you the shirt off their back. It's, um, yep. it's, a, it's, a, real, it's a real family-orientated sport. You know, you've got the people that, if they've got the money, they'll spend tens and thousands of dollars more just to, to be up the front, but I mean, at the end of the day, if you, um, you know, if you're in a speed car, I mean, all there is is actually, you know, if you have a wreck, if you need a part, you know, if you need stuff that needs to be fixed to, to get back out onto the racetrack for your next race, you know, you've got drivers and, and crews and you know, people that will just will come over and, and help just to just to get you back out onto the racetrack. So I, I can't speak highly enough of, you know, of the, the speedway community um, in the real world. What was your favourite car that you drove out of all those cars? Sprint cars, but they also scared the crap out of me at the same time. Um, but I thoroughly enjoyed racing the the Lightning Sprints. Yeah. Now, Braden, unless you've got any other questions about the real life racing, I know you want to ask him all about his eye racing and his rig and all that kind of rigmarole. <laughs> so I'll let you take over for a moment. Yeah, well, I was actually just peeking out. Uh... You guys can't see it, but we've got um, our webcams going. I can see what looks like the the back of your rig sitting in the background. So, how's that changed over time? Um, okay, so that is that's basically a uh, an X wingless Sprint. It's just had the the front and the and the rear cut off, so it's just the, the cockpit itself. Um, I actually bought that uh, probably 
nine or ten months ago. Um, you know, it had the had the three screens around it plus a fourth um, sitting on top of it. So it's got you know it's got a, a Sparco seat in. It's got you know a five point harness in their belts as well. Uh, it's got the real sprint car brake, real sprint car pedal. Um, it's got a I think it's a fifteen inch wheel on there as well, which you know you use for racing. It clips on and off. Um, it's all attached to a Logitech G27 base. Um, the the guy I bought it off was uh, Matt Hill. Um, I can't tell you how long he spent building this thing, and <laughs> it's just the the amount of work that has gone into to building this thing that and and the time. I, I want to say he'd spent probably close to two years on it, maybe wow. a little bit more, just building it and. You know, he was, you know, he does graphic design. So, you know, that was in his room. When I picked it up, he actually showed me that there was a mouse pad no bigger than, well, you'd have a small mouse pad. Um, and it was inside the cockpit of the, the car and trying to design a race car on a desk where, you know, you've got a whole wide desk compared to having a desk that, you know, might be the size of half of a monitor, half a 24-inch monitor, and yet your hands just cramping up and stuff like that. So he, you know, he just said, look, I'll sell it. And I ended up buying it. I tried it. Um, it was a, it was different, but to me, I would prefer, or I do prefer the VR headset. Um, so I just have, you know, I don't actually use, I actually, I've actually just sold that um, behind me to Pete Stiles, who, you know, is a, a member of the Australian Lightning Sprints. Um, so that's actually going to be going to his house and hopefully, uh, you know, we'll see him or his son on iRacing, but yeah, that's, that's a different kettle of fish. And, and the reason sort of why I sold it was because it, because it's on wheels, um, with my situation, it was just too hard to, to get in and out of just because you're in a, such a, you're in such a confined space. My body can't handle those confined spaces for for long periods of time. You know, I need to I need to get up and stretch and, and do like that and just I mean, even just sitting in the in the wheelchair now, you know, I've got to I've got to stretch my legs and you can't do that in the in the cockpit of a race car because you know you you're cramped up, your your legs are nearly touching your chin. <laughs> What's the plan for the new rig? Nothing. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair it's, enough. Uh, it's a it's a Fanatec base um that will hook onto my desk well that does hook onto my desk uh, i've got a mclaren gt3 wheel uh, i use that wheel because that's the only wheel that i know of that has got the dual paddles at the back so where i can have um accelerator uh, gas uh, throttle control and brake control rather than just flat out or none because i i can't i can't use pedals because i'm in the chair and I was doing some perusing through iRacing's little uh, statistics and noticed that you've got a P license. How did you get that? <laughs> uh, that came about last, well, yeah, last year. Um, the Sprint Car were Pro Qualifiers. Um, we had a, I think we finished 15th in the Pro Qualifiers, which um, you need to finish top 20 to, to get a Pro World, like a Pro license. Um, so we, we were in the Pro Series. Um, just the, the last one for the sprint cards, the one that obviously Alex Bergeron won. So that was a, a different challenge in itself. And uh, I am the first 
sprint car or even dirt driver that is disabled to have a pro license. Everybody else is able to use their their legs, and I was doing it by hands on the wheel and and the accelerator and brake on the wheel itself. So it had its challenges, but yeah, it's um it was a that was a fun experience to be a part of. Well, I think you're also the first uh, guest on the Locked On Our Racing podcast with a pro license as well. So that's probably just as good, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I'll, t- I'll take I'll take first any day of the week. <laughs> you snuck it in just before Alex Burgeon, who is on the podcast, we're interviewing him tomorrow. So um, perfect timing. Uh, I've still got so much to talk about. Like, what was it, what's it, what's it like? using paddles as a as an accelerator and a brake like how how much does that get used to you to, uh, get used to it's there's there's different cars that i can handle it with there's other cars that i struggle with um the cars that i've got to you know you know the, the cars that you've got to consistently continually to, to turn right because my right hand is on the accelerator that comes down to the bottom um yeah it's just some cars i i can handle very well um other cars that i can't i i will just stay away from you know you won't see me racing but um you know with what you know our racing has come out with the updates with the tire models and and the way that the cars are driving um i'll use late models and and ump modifiers as an example um you know a couple of seasons ago i couldn't do half a lap at any racetrack in a UMP modified, you know, the way spin out and just unable to have that car control two seasons ago, two, two and a half seasons ago, they come out with an update. Now I love the cars. I can drive with my eyes, uh, with my eyes closed. Same with the super late models. You know, I couldn't, couldn't drive those things. Pro late models, limited late models, they were a piece of cake. Um, and then, you know, you get an update with the, with the late models and, now all of a sudden, you know, I can I can have you know a, a decent race in a super late model. Like just a couple of days ago, I I finished second um, in in a super late model at Eldora in an official race. So yeah, it's got its certainly got its challenges. That's for sure. What's your favourite track in iRacing? Are we talking to broadcast or to race on? To the both. Let's go with racing okay. first. Okay. Uh, well, racing, I've got four that I like. Yeah. Volusia, Knoxville, USA, and The Grove. Yeah. Um, tracks I love to broadcast at Knoxville, and I'll say Limerland. Actually, yeah. Volusia as well, because Volusia generally puts on some, some good racing as well. So what do you look for in, in a track to be good for broadcasting? different lines yeah um i mean i I generally know what what the track's going to do um unless it's a league that i haven't covered before then you know you sort of go in blind and you know you just you call what you see you know you you take it good or bad because you know as as any as any league races have you know you're going to have your ones that are going to be good you're going to have the ones that are going to be spectacular and then you're going to have those off ones that are going to be bad. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's showcasing esports, um, and you know you've just got to you know make the make the best of you know what could be a, a, a not so good race. But you know those those races where you know where they're they're good and they're excellent, spectacular ones. You know they 
they far outweigh the the bad ones for sure. Have you got a, a particular favourite combo of car and track that you like to broadcast? Sprint cars at Knoxville. Doesn't matter if it's three sixties or four tens. I think that and and at Volusia. Um, and super late models, I think, would be maybe Charlotte. And there's not much else that I've sort of had enough time to to go off. You know, the big blocks are still sort of newer to the newer to the service. I think they've been out for you know three or four seasons now. But um, I mean, they just they get around anywhere, really. Yep. So, what? Is there a track that you want to see in there? We've gone through some Australian ones before, but is there any particular ones that they're they're really missing in the iRacing and and cars? Um, nah, nah I mean, I'm happy with with what they've got now. Um, yeah, obviously, you know, more tracks would be more tracks would be good, but I mean, there's only I mean, it's just. That's just that comes back to, to i racing, you know, scanning the scanning the track and and whatnot. Um, there's no sort of particular track over in America that I'd want in there. Um, it's just basically whatever they give us, as long as it's a, a track that can have multiple grooves. Yeah, definitely. Now we have had you for almost an hour now, which is, I know it's obviously you, you, I can see you moving around and and wanting to stretch out. So we won't hold you for too much longer. Give us a final rundown of actually first, the first question I want to ask if someone was going to get into eyed racing in the dirt scene, particularly dirt ovals, obviously, um, what would be your recommendation on where they start? Obviously, uh, with what would, Equipment, any, or... like what, what, as in just in the in the service, like what where, what truck cars should they start practicing on? Um, it uh, it all just depends, you know, if they want to run sprint cars or or late models, if they want to run the big blocks, if they want to run speed cars, um, if they want to do you know official racing, you know, you've got to start off in the in the street stocks. Um, but I'd start off probably in. Yeah, you know, if you were going sprint cars, I'd start off in in three sixties. You know, I wouldn't jump straight into the four tens because, you know, they are a different kettle of fish. Um, if you're gonna if you want to go late model racing, so I'd, I'd jump into the into the pro late models, just get a feel for the race car. I would probably just I, I wouldn't go into any officials. You know, you just you practice offline, get used to the cars, how they feel. Um, then then you could probably probably jump into a hosted session. And then you know if you feel comf- you know confident enough to, to where you're able to hold your line around other cars as well, if you feel confident in passing, then you know you could take that step to a Fisher Racing, or you could go to the next class up. You know you could go to a super late model, or you could go to a four ten if you are if you're feeling confident. Yep, cool. So let's start wrapping this thing up. Ultimate Dirt TV is obviously the place where where most of your content would be. Can you just, once again, plug that and tell people how to find it and, and the best way to support you guys? That was the best way to support us is just by liking and following our page um, or you uh, can subscribe to the, the YouTube channel. So you go to youtube.com slash ultimate dirt TV. Uh, obviously, you know, all of our stuff is, is free to watch. You know, we don't pay you to, to watch anything. Um, 
also on our Facebook page, you know, facebook.com slash ultimate dirt TV. Uh, we are sort of partnered up with, with Facebook as well. So there is an option to where you can um, support us. I think it costs you, I think it's about eight, eight or nine bucks a month. Uh, if you want to become a, a supporter, uh, which, you know, you don't have to, but I mean, if you got, you know, if, if someone's, you know, willing to, to spend that just for, for the fun of it, you know, they're, they're more than welcome to. It's not something that we, we ask for, um, but just, yeah, just mainly just, you know, like and follow on the page and, you know, whenever we're, whenever we're live, whether it's myself or Stephen McMillan, who's, you know, producing, uh, just come in and chat, just say g'day and, and whatnot and share the broadcast out. That's, that's sort of, you know, all we, all we worry about, you know, all the numbers at the end of the day, you know, our numbers you know, have been, have been pretty good. Um, you know, like I'll use 2020 as an, as an example, um, you know, talk about, you know, when COVID hit iRacing last year, you know, we, we hit nearly 10,000 followers alone just in last year from January 1st to, to the 30, uh, to the 31st of December. Uh, we reached nearly, nearly 2 million people in reach in a year. Wow. And, oh, hang on, that stack gets better. Our video views yeah. was 2.5 million in wow. one year. Um, this year, and we're, what, seven, seven months in, um, we've gained about two and a half thousand followers. So we're, we're a little bit lighter on what, than what we were last year, but obviously, you know, with people going back to work and, and whatnot, yeah. you know, that, that stuff's you know, died down a bit, but we're still by far ahead of anybody, any other broadcaster out there. Um, we've reached this year, 700,000 people. I mean, seven months, that's a hundred, that's 25,000 yeah, wow. people that we've reached a week. Um, yep. And we've we've had 1.1 million in video views as well in in seven months. So, you know, it's um, you know, just you, the main thing is to obviously support us just by tuning in and and just sharing the broadcast out and make sure you you like and follow the page. Yeah, but I, I try and explain to people that that's what we we need on our Facebook page is in like and follow. That they don't understand like <laughs> just anyone who who doesn't run a page how much a one like and one follow. And in particularly one share can change a whole piece of content. Like I, I've showed Braden where we've had no shares for videos and we, and we do broadcast, we do streams and you get a couple hundred follows, uh, a couple hundred reaches, but then you have two or three people share a stream. That number can go to seven or 8,000 quite easily for the exact same stream. And it makes such a difference for the back end. Absolutely, um, it does. Obviously, get your your morale up because you're like, "Ooh, how cool is this?" But it, it does literally the numbers do make a big difference when you're going to people, when you you know all this other stuff. It, it makes a huge difference. So a like, a share, and a follow is huge. So go do that, people. Definitely go help them out. Um, where can people find you personally if they want to sort of chat with you? Are you on any of the other um, medias? Yeah, well, I will. Like I said, I obviously I run I run all the pages, so all my stuff is is run under the Ultimate Dirt TV banner. Uh, you know that's Instagram, that's Twitter, um, Facebook, YouTube. Um, you know people want to search my name by Brett Wheeler on Facebook and have me as a friend. You know they're more than welcome to. Uh, I generally accept most people on there. If you've done wrong by me in the past and you want to try and friend me, well that's not going to happen. I just <laughs> I, I'm not that way. But you know. Um, yeah, look, I'm I'm always always happy to, to chat to anybody. You know, my like I said, I've got all the time in the all the time in the world as you know, as long as I'm not broadcasting, which is quite a lot during the day, but I mean, you know, just yeah, just they they can follow me on, on the Ultimate Dirt TV 
um, stuff. Yep. So I've got all the access to that anyway. So okay, no problems. Braden, quickly shout out where you can be found. Yeah. So uh, as always, you can come give me a follow over on Twitch at the One D Wade. Probably a few little extra streams. Well, depending on when this goes out over the next few days, because uh, I'm on holidays, which is nice. Um, and if you want to hear me whinging or complaining about something on Twitter, you can uh, give me a follow at Braden Talks. Excellent. You can find all our stuff at Locked On Lads on Facebook and Twitch and Twitter. I'm just, uh, we've got a new Instagram account. Go follow that, please, everyone. Locked On Lads as well over there. Locked On Lads YouTube is Locked On Lads YT. Uh, Twitch.tv slash Locked On Lads for Twitch. And I think that's all I'm forgetting. Definitely go check out CD Simtography, uh, Clayton Davis' uh, photography group. Uh, go check that one out. He's sponsoring us at the moment, really, really helping us out. Um, and lockedonlads.com slash Discord, which Brett is now in. I apologize for that. You are going to be bombarded with notifications. Uh, there's lots of crazy stuff going on there at the moment, and I'm sharing a lot of that craziness on Facebook at the moment. So keep an eye out for some of the photos and uh, stuff that's coming out on that. But thank you so much for your time, Brett. I know we kept you a little bit longer than we should, but it was absolutely fascinating. Um, we will talk to you again soon, I'm sure of it. But thank you again for being a great guest. No worries, boys. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, appreciated. And uh, yeah, let us know when this goes up and we'll get that shit out for you again. We will. Thank you very much. And we'll catch you all later. Have a good one. Drive safe, drive fast.